I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors at Chapel Point. One of the things that we're learning in this time of pandemic and the quarantine that has resulted from it, a lot of people are searching and they're open and they're hurting and they're struggling with questions. I'm more aware, perhaps, of their need of God. And I want to just say to you that at a time like this, that you need to understand the difference between a transformed relationship with Jesus Christ and man-made religion. A transformed relationship with Jesus Christ can meet the deepest needs and, tr- and change your life from the inside out. But a man-made religion is powerless to be able to help us at a time like this. We're studying about the seven miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and I want you to jump in with me to John chapter 5, where we see the Lord Jesus doing a miracle with a man that had been lame for 38 years. And Christ was able to transform his physical life, and he's able to transform your life as well. We read that after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Uh, This story that we read is set up for us. In this narrative, we're, we're told when it happens at an unnamed feast of the Jews, and John in his gospel actually uses as signpost these different feasts that are going on. Uh, the, the Passover, in John chapter 7, he talks about the Feast of Tabernacles. John chapter 10, the Feast of the Dedication of the Temple. And later again, the Passover. Uh, this feast is unnamed, but we know that's the context. Jerusalem is full of pilgrims. We know where it happens. It happens at a pool of Bethesda. And then that pool literally means house of mercy. You can look on the screen here and you can actually see a little bit of where that was. So this is the Temple Mount in Old Jerusalem. And the pool of Bethesda was just up in the northeast section right by the gate, which is where they would bring sheep for sacrifice. Uh, you can see some pictures of what they think this looked like, and it's called the, had five different colonnades, which were closed on the outside, open on the inside, and this, uh, these two pools were sort of like a trapezoid, uh, 197 feet across at the top, 250 feet at the bottom, about 318 feet long, and th- this pool was probably used for some sacred cleansing, actually for cleansing some of the sacrif- sacrificed animals. But we're told that in that location, there was a large gathering, a crowd of people, and they were, there were certain illnesses. Some of them were, were blind. Some were lame, unable to talk. Some of them had withered extremities that they couldn't feel. They couldn't, they couldn't walk at all. And they were there hoping for a miracle. And you may notice that in your translation, uh, you may or may not have uh, the fourth verse because we read there in that particular verse that they were waiting for an angel of the Lord who would come and at seasons would stir the water, and whoever stepped into the pool after the water, they were healed. 
that, that particular text in the scripture is not in the oldest manuscripts. So some translations have it, some don't. We're not going to debate that, but, but we do know that these people were here because they believed that there was something that could happen for them. And then this, this, this crowd of people, in the midst of that, Jesus comes and he focuses on one man. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now think about that. Nearly four decades he had been able to, unable to walk. Well, we're not told that he had been an invalid from birth, so apparently this happened sometime later in his life. And Jesus saw him. My friends, there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. Jesus sees you. The scripture tells us that he actually numbers the hairs of your head. And not because that's that important, but because his concern for you is that detailed. 7.8 billion people, but he sees you. He cares for you. He sees this crowd, but he sees this one man. And he comes to him. He sees him lying there on his, on his mat, on his bedroll. And Jesus knew without anybody telling him his condition that he had been ill for a very long time. And Jesus comes and he asks him a question. This man's condition was hopeless. 38 years, no hope. He was in despair. He had been daily waiting for something to happen. And Jesus asked him this profound question. Do you want to be made well? Now, friend, if I asked that question or you asked that question to someone that had been lame for 38 years, it would seem incredibly insensitive. It'd be sort of like us seeing somebody in a car with a hood up alongside the road with the four-way flashers on, and we come to them and say, is your car broken down? Really? But it depends on who's asking the question. If the one asking that question was a mechanic driving a wrecker, it makes a difference. And when it's Jesus Christ, the miracle worker, that says, do you want to be made well? It's a whole different thing. Some of you are struggling with anger in your life that's dominating your life. Do you want to be made well? Some of you are struggling with fear and anxiety that's controlling you. Some of you and your marriage have been just so hard to live with for your wife or your husband. And, and you want your marriage to change, but are you willing to be made well to change? Some of you are struggling with addiction to pornography. Do you want to be made well? Some of you are overspending money in such a way that you've lost total control and are in debt, and now the reality is hitting. Do you want to be made well in your stewardship? Some of you are in such bondage to sin in your life, and you just don't, listen, do you want to be made well? Jesus asked that question. Some people are more comfortable to continue in their sin, to stay in their bondage, to continue the habits of their life and in broken relationships. And Jesus comes into your life like he did to this man and says, do you want to be made well? Now, the interesting thing is the answer to this man that he gives to Jesus. He said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And when I'm going in, someone steps before me. So instead of answering the question, yes, I want to be made well, can you heal me? Or even, yes, I want to be made well, can you put me in the pool? His answer basically shifts the focus to other people. There is nobody here to help me. Now, we don't know if he didn't have any friends. Sometimes when people struggle in their life, they become bitter, and he may have alienated all his friends. We don't know. But he says, there's nobody here to help me. 
And somebody cuts in line in front of me when I'm trying to crawl down into the pool. So he's focusing on other people. Jesus asks a question, do you want to be made well? And he changes the focus, and he never really answers the question. Jesus speaks to him, and he says, get up and take your bed and walk. And a miracle takes place. Do you know what a miracle is? A miracle is when God the Creator, the God of the universe, overrules the very rules of nature that he put in place. Turning water into wine, raising dead bodies, walking on water. Jesus can do that because he's the Creator. And and in this case, this man had been an invalid for 38 years. Atrophy. No strength in his bones or his muscles. He gets up and he walks. That, my friends, is a miracle. It's what God can do. The interesting thing about this particular miracle, it it did not require, nor is there any expression of faith on the part of the man who was healed. He never said, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, just by his own power and authority, declared it so, performed a miracle in the life of this man. I want you to keep that in mind. When you answer the question, when you realize, do you want to be made well? that a transformed relationship with Christ prohibits settling for man-made religion. So this happens. This happens. Uh, This then leads to a confrontation. Verse 9, by the way, is is a verse that's kind of interesting because the chapters and verses in your Bible are not inspired. They were added later. And then really the the whole story shifts in the middle of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Uh, Literally, in the original text of this passage, it starts off like this, Sabbath, Sabbath, what do you think you're doing walking with this? You know, the, the Jews, the Pharisees in particular, had 39 different kind of works that you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath, 39. I mean, Plowing and sowing and reaping and, and making bread. You could, you could only stitch twice on a garment, and you could only walk about a thousand feet. I mean, they had a rule for everything. Thirty-nine different kinds of rules that they had. And, and so they come to this man. They don't care about his medical condition. They're not interested in the miracle. All they care about is their set of rules, which, by the way, were in addition to Scripture. It's an expression of legalism, empty of grace, and tradition rather than biblical authority. And so here Jesus, Jesus has healed this man, and they come to him, and they confront him about the Sabbath. The man answers, and he says, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. In other words, not my fault. Whoever it was that healed me, he told me to do it. That's why I'm doing it. So this guy's just constantly blaming other people. And here now he's blaming Jesus. He's throwing Jesus under the bus. And they said to him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? So there's this confrontation going on. This this man is confronted and he answers, he said, I don't know who he is. By the way, after the miracle, he never asked questions about who is Jesus. There was no curiosity. There was no expression of gratitude. And after they asked the question, the man who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. There was a crowd in that place. Remember, it's a feast of the Jews, thousands of people. Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. 
But afterwards, in verse 14, Jesus found him. Notice again the individual concern that Jesus has for people. Crowds of thousands of people, Jesus finds this man in the crowd. And listen carefully to what he says to him. He says, see, you are well. He points to the miracle, to the healing, to his power to transform lives. And then he says, sin no more. In other words, this man had a deeper problem than being lame. He had a sin problem. The implications are perhaps it was some sin in his life that actually led to this. We don't know for sure, but Jesus is saying here, don't sin anymore. He says that something worse may happen to you, something worse than being lame. My friends, the consequences of sin in a person's life are so much worse than even physical, spiritual, relational, eternal, even hell itself. Jesus says something worse can happen to you in the wrath of God, in the punishment of God. Something worse can happen. He says, go sin no more. Uh, You know, it's interesting that the man, rather than turning to Jesus and trusting Jesus as his time, he goes away and he tells the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Rather than saying, Jesus, thank you for healing me, Tell me more about who you are. Tell me more about how I can live a life delivered from sin. He goes back to his tradition. He goes back to the legalism. He goes back to man-made religion rather than be transformed by Jesus. There's a study in contrast. Next week, Pastor Joel is going to be looking at John chapter 9, which is the healing of a man born blind. And it's a tremendous contrast with this passage because you have in chapter 9 a man that the disciples come to Jesus and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. In this passage, John chapter 5, Jesus said, go and sin no more. In John chapter 9, the man didn't know much about Jesus yet, but by the end of John chapter 9, he is worshiping Jesus, and he's cast out by the Jews, but he becomes transformed as a follower of Jesus. Not so in chapter 5. In chapter 5, this man chooses his man-made religion over being transformed by Jesus. In this passage, what what happens next, next really sets up what's going to go on in the rest of the Gospel of John. This is kind of a defining moment in the Gospel because Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews is going to continue to grow and develop until he's ultimately nailed to the cross. And they come to Jesus, and they're confronting him now. And they, we read in verse 16, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. This is why they were harassing him, pursuing him, why he has a conflict with them, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So there's a conflict now between Jesus and the leaders of the Jews over the miracle, but mostly over the Sabbath, their man-made religion. But it gets worse. Jesus answered them, so they're confronting him personally, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father is working, and I'm working. He's claiming that he is the agent of God the Father. And look at the Jews' response in verse 18. This is, this is now hitting the fan. This is why the Jews were seeking the more, not just to pursue and persecute him, but now to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath now, but 
calling God his father, making himself equal with God, which is the whole point of the Gospel of John. It's a point of every one of the miracles. It's a point of the entire book to show that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the divine Son of God, equal with the Father. Friend, if there ever was a time when if that was not who Jesus was in his identity, he would have made it clear right here. Because now they're seeking to kill him because he's claiming equality with the Father, and they're rejecting that. Jesus goes on in the passage that follows, and I just would encourage you to read the rest of the John chapter 5. He's saying the Son is doing the same work as the Father. The Son, Jesus, is loved by the Father. The Son will raise the dead like the Father. The Son is established as judged by the Father. And in verse 23, you must honor the Son as you honor the Father. Rather than Jesus saying, no, no, you got it wrong. That's not what I'm claiming. He said, yes, you've got it right. I'm claiming to be the Son of God. Loved by the Father, doing the work of the Father, raising the dead by the Father, judging like the Father, honored like the Father. Jesus said, yes, I am making a claim to be God. And friends, that's why you need to understand. A transformed relationship with Christ is radically different than man-made religion. There's man-made religions all over the world. I've traveled enough to different continents and places to see people worshiping idols. I've heard the cries in Hindu temples. I have seen Muslims worshiping. I've seen other false religions. And friends, I want to tell you, following Jesus Christ is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that changes you. This man had been transformed by Jesus through the miracle of healing, but he was unwilling to be transformed by Jesus in his sin problem, in his heart problem, in his life problem. I want you to kind of look at this in terms of just kind of contrasting these two things, a transformed relationship with with Christ that prohibits settling for man-made religions. Man-made religion may be mysticism, mysticism. And so this belief that the angel was going to come and just be able to deliver But the Christ-centered relationship is all about truth. God has revealed himself to us in creation, in Scripture, and in Christ. And so we don't settle for mysticism. We are seeking after truth. Man-made religion is all about legalism. Man establishes rules. And in these man-made rules, for you to be able to approach God, you have to do, do, do all these things. That was the Apostle Paul before he was converted. But a Christ-centered relationship is based on grace, on what God has already done for us on the cross in Jesus Christ. Legalism says, you've got to do this. Grace says, God's already done it. Man-made religion is filled with human traditionalism, and we layer on tradition like the Pharisees do. And that's true today, even in some, some forms of Christianity. But friends, a relationship with Christ is all about liberty. Jesus said, my truth is to set you free, free from bondage to sin, free from bondage to man-made religion. Man-made religion is man-centered. It's all about man trying to reach up to God. But Christ-centered relationship is centered on Christ who through God reached down to mankind. So I want to ask you some questions here when you think about your relationship with God, this God who so personally and individually wants to speak into your life, wants to have a relationship with you, who looks in the midst of 7.8 billion people and he sees you today. He asks you the question, do you want to be made well? Are you satisfied with your life? 
Are you, is it okay with you where you are? Are you going to continue to blame other people for your problems? Or are you going to turn to Jesus Christ, who has the power to transform your life? Are you waiting for just human assistance? Are you believing in Christ's power? See, some people are just saying, I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody to put me in the pool. I'm just waiting for somebody to, to take care of me and meet my need. But friends, the one you need to turn to is Jesus Christ because he has the power to change your life, to change your soul, to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your character, to change your relationships, to change your eternal destiny. Are you waiting for human assistance or are you believing in Christ's power? Are you today wallowing in despair or are you hoping in Christ's promises? I don't want to be insensitive. I know that there's people that are depressed and discouraged, and I, I care about that, and Christ cares about that. But at some point, you need to realize that if you had the ability to solve that yourself, it would have been solved. But are you willing to put your hope in Christ? Are you willing to put your hope in His promises? Are you willing to not look in the mirror thinking the solution is there, but to look up to heaven and say the solution is there? To believe that the one who died on the cross and rose again has the power to transform you, to give you hope for tomorrow, for today. Are you caving into legalism, just adding more and more lists and rules of things? Are you welcoming Christ's grace? Friends, man-made religion focuses on layering on, layering on, layering on more and more rules. I've, I've tried to live that, and friends, it is just a form of bondage. But the grace of God and, and just coming into your life sets you free, liberates you. Grace is God's provision for your brokenness. Grace is what God did in Christ on the cross. Grace means that, that God fills in the blanks in your life that you can never fill in. That he has that miracle of transformation that's an inside job. Starts in your heart and your mind and, and he, he changes you and then he changes your relationship. If you're just waiting for God to change your circumstances, friends, I want to tell you, God's more interested in transforming you. And he does that by his grace. Are you caving into legalism or are you welcoming God's grace? Are you continuing in sin, which is what this man did? Jesus said, go and sin no more. Are you just continuing in the habits and the bondage of sin? Or are you convinced that Christ claims that he can set you free? You don't have to continue in the bondage of sin. The cross proves that. The truth of the gospel makes it clear. We don't have to continue in sin because Jesus Christ made it possible. Are you continuing in sin? Are you convinced of Christ's claims? Friends, a transformed relationship with Christ prohibits Settling for man-made religion. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to be satisfied with man-made religion, you're going to be like this, this lame man who went back under the legalism, even though Jesus had done this miracle for him. You say, well, Jesus has done, hasn't done any miracles for me. Friends, I want to tell you, the Bible tells us that you live and breathe because of him. Your very life right now, the heartbeat, the breath you just took, is sustained by the God, your creator, and that God cares about you, and that God loves you. And God, that God wants to turn you to turn to him and answer the question, do you want to be made well? Do you want a transformed life? And friend, if you do, 
And right now I call you. You may be a person that's never trusted in Jesus Christ in a personal way. And the greatest problem you have in your life isn't your financial or economic or financial, your, your emotional problem, your employment problem. The greatest problem we have in our life is our sin problem. That's what Jesus said, go and sin no more. And friends, Jesus Christ is the solution for that. Jesus Christ is the one who makes it possible for you to know forgiveness. Do you want to be made well? Then turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been substituting man-made religion for a transformed relationship with him, then I call you to repent of that and to turn back to him and say, yes, Lord, I want what you have to offer me by your grace, by your promises. Change my life continually. Change my life. And in the midst of one of the worst times in our culture right now, you can have a transformed life. As Jesus asked you and he asked me, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Father in heaven, we believe that your son Jesus Christ is God. He's a miracle worker. That he has the power to transform lives. That his sinless life, his miracle working power was more than enough. God, I pray that people that are hearing your word today would turn to Christ. That would answer the question, do you want to be made whole? And may they answer the question, yes. Lord, I'm not satisfied with man-made religion. I want a transformed relationship that only you can give me. And may they in faith embrace your love, embrace your hope, embrace the gospel. And perhaps begin for the first time today that transformed relationship or to continue that transformed relationship. God, may we never be satisfied with man-made religion when you have revealed yourself in the person of your son who is able to work and do great and mighty things even today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.